a time where uh, Advent means coming. And so with Advent, really, there's two things at play. And, and we remember the first time that Jesus came. And so we have this month-long buildup until we celebrate Christmas and, and celebrate the first time that, that Jesus came. But, but it's also just kind of a good time to remind ourselves that there is a, there is a second coming. There is a second Advent, that, that Jesus is coming again. And what does it mean to live our life and orientate our life around that moment and around that expectation and around that hope and really with, with, with around that uh, certainty and assurance? So it's, yeah, I'm excited about today. It's, today's our, our second Advent. A couple of announcements, and then we're going to sing. Um, John Rempel is in town, and he is doing a, a, a lecture and, and a thing with FOSPA out at the, um, oh, I just forgot the name of it. Heritage Park. No, the school. I'm sorry, the school. Um, he wrote a book and uh, has some called Profiles of Mennonite Faith and, um, yeah, with some uh, kind of rare photos, uh, Mennonite photos from Russia around the 1920s. That's going to be at 3 o'clock today, and so pretty excited about that. Um, this Wednesday is the, the um, Christmas program, uh, the kids' Christmas program. There are invites like this that are available, um, I, I think, at the back. And so you can take a handful of these and hand them out to all your friends. Uh, there's going to be a good meal involved. And then the kids are going to do their Christmas program in here around 645. And so you can grab, uh, grab some invites and, and hand them out. And also, we're, we, we're asking that for the regular church attenders, if you would bring some cookies. Uh, we know that this church has cookie skills. And so we're asking uh, for people to bring a couple dozen cookies. And there's more details uh, in, in the bulletin. Um, end of year giving updates. That's important for taxes. If you want to know where you're at, talk to John Query. He'll get you squared away. And um, backpack. We need some, some year-end programs for some backpack supplies. And you can either you know take the family and do the grocery shopping and make a Christmas event out of it. Or you can just drop off cash. Last I heard, it was about 40 bucks for a backpack, and so sponsor as many backpacks as you want. So that's a, another option there. I think, oh, last one. We are pleased to announce that finally we have the pictorial directories done. Uh, Joni Powers did a lot of work on this. Joanne did some good work with this. Lisa helped out with this. And so these are, are finally available. Um, they cost about $10 uh, per directory. Um, if you're willing, we're asking for a $5 donation to offset the cost, but it's a donation and whatnot. So it, you, don't, you don't have to. But anyway, so uh, the ushers are going to be handling these for the next couple of weeks, and then after that we'll just have them out of the office. But uh, they look sharp. I should probably snag one or two of these. we got 100 made. We can make more if we have to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good day. Thank you for a season dedicated to remembering and a season dedicated to looking forward. Lord, the fact that you left heaven and came down to earth, shared with us the message that you did, extended to us a rescue line. God, I don't think we'll really truly understand the extent gratitude, with thanksgiving, and that we can take this message 
is so, so critical that we can share with others and share our story with others. We love you anyway. Amen. Would you stand with us and join us in worshiping together? <coughs> Feel free to worship in whichever way you'd like. You can stand or sit, raise your hands. Let's celebrate the second advent. God came down. Jesus, in this time of celebrating your downward journey, your love-filled relocation on our behalf, help us choose to live a life of love 
all those which fell in the night. is born of Mary and gathered from above, while mortals faith fail angels keep their wonder-wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to First off, we want to be praying for Miriam and for her family. Her sister passed away earlier this week, uh, Roselle. She passed away on Tuesday. Uh, and we'll be 
hospital. Last I talked with her, they were waiting on some tests to find out what caused this whole thing. So we prayed for her, and, and Bridget is recovering from a, a pretty serious surgery herself. So be praying for, for them. And also Jordan Shepard. Jordan is the eight-year-old granddaughter of Deb Shepard, daughter of Jason Shepard. And uh, Jordan is having kidney surgery on Tuesday. Let's have a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, all of us arrived with something on our mind. Maybe something significant, maybe something shallow, maybe something uh, distressing, maybe something heartwarming. Lord, whatever it is that we arrived with at the forefront of our mind, God, we just want to give it to you. We, we place that at your feet and, and pray thy will be done. show us, that you would speak to us, that we would be able to, to make amends. Lord, we pray for, for those we love. We pray for Miriam and for her family. We pray for Bob. We pray for Bridget. Pray for we pray for Jordan. And we pray for the, the missionaries, for Jennifer and Kenton and Kedra and for Jason and Cole and Paul and Sarah.
gave them a place to stay at. No, Tom, don't blame me. Look, I run a caravan sheriff. Caravan sheriff. Okay, I run an inn. Yeah. People come from all over to stay the night. I give them food and a bed. I charge a fair price. And I look over and go, oh, she is pregnant. Whoa. And then he says, we're going to have a baby. Duh, I can see that. And then he said, we came right from Nazareth. Nazareth. You came all the way from Nazareth to be pregnant by Jesus. And I said, well, it's just simply being generous. I said, look, you're going to have to find a place where you have this baby. little place. And he said, great, we'll take it. I said, well, hang on, hang on. I've got this cave stable. And he gives me a look, and I said, oh, I don't have a lot of hammer. And we put the goats on one side, and I put in some fresh straw, and it's like to be warm and dry, and it's all I got. And he said, great, we'll take it. And I went, come on. <laughs> no charge. to the stable and we moved the goats over to one side and I took my cave to Greece and I put in some straw and she laid down beside me on the straw and he's beside her and I can see, oh, this is going to happen right now. And I said, you guys get comfortable. I'm going to go get my wife. She's dealt with babies before. <laughs> so I go down to the, my caravan ferry and I find my wife and I go, Hannah. She goes, what? up in the stable. <laughs> she said, with the goats? I said, you might have moved the goats. She said, Tommy, you're a nice young couple. I'm all this and all this. And I think she's going to have a baby. And just like that, she's running up the hill and she's going, she's going to have a baby. And Caleb put him in with the goats. I moved the goats, Hannah. So later on, I'm taking care of my mother, you know. And Hannah comes down and she says, Caleb, I go, what? She says, there are people all over up there. Duh, Hannah. It's the census. And she said, no, there are shepherds. And they're talking about lambs being slaughtered and all this. Ah. Hannah, it's a cold night. We just got into the new land. And she says, no, I don't think so, Caleb. I don't think they're drunk. You better get up there. So I go up there, and sure enough, there are shepherds up there all around the mouth of the cave. And so I go up to them, dude, don't you have some sheep to take care of? Like, come on. And he 
that we were taking care of our sheep. And they didn't rattle on so fast I could barely understand them talking about angels in the sky and shepherd born and spirit. So I pull them aside. You're telling me that this peasant baby is from my stable and it's coming out of my house. Now. So I go up and look. And it's dark in there. It's like sure enough, there she is with the baby. Fast forward. It's the baby. And he comes up and he says, it's a boy. And I go, like, dude, where'd it go? I said, you got a name. He says, it's Jesus. Okay. Let it go. And then he tells me what it really was. The Lord said, I said, introduce ourselves. He's Joseph. He's married. He's Caleb. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, hey, guys, what are all these shepherds doing out here? And then Joseph said, well, they told me that there were angels in the sky coming that they were going to come here. And he said, I don't think they're real. And then Joseph talking about his family. Well, an angel came to him and said that Mary was going to have a baby. And he said, this I know the Lord works in mysterious ways, and the Almighty sometimes does things we don't expect. But the next step, you fail us, we don't have that But what if? I know the Almighty puts things in such a way on purpose to be a proof.
week we lit the candle of uh, the first candle, which is either associated with hope or with prophecy. And we talked about how, how hope and prophecy are really just two sides of the same coin. Prophecy is when God speaks to us, gives us a word. In the Old Testament, it was often, you know, fortune t- or like, you know, uh, telling the future, but sometimes it's a word of correction, sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Or sometimes we call it the, the candle of hope, which is really just our response to God speaking to us. And, and you know, worldly hope is totally different than Christian hope. Worldly hope is this, this longing or this di- desire that maybe something will happen. And Christian hope is the opposite, because Christian hope is assurance, absolute confidence, rooted in the character of God. And so with that first candle, sometimes it's hope, sometimes it's prophecy. And really it's just a matter of do you want to look at it from God's perspective where he talks to us, or do you want to look at it from man's perspective where we respond in hope. The second candle is often associated with love, which is really what all of today is is about. This week I've been thinking for a long time I mean, what, what analogy is so powerful that it really helps us understand what it means to be God and then to look at humans and to say the only way to save them is to become one of them? How can we ever understand being God, being in heaven, reigning in heaven, creating whatever you want with the spoken word, And to be that supreme and then choose to become man and to serve and to save through that. You know, there's kind of these cutesy stories of kings and of presidents who would go out and would mingle with the common folk. And, you know, some little incident would happen. But even with that analogy, you're still dealing with man interacting with man. Uh, You know, you can... There are these books on, you know, illustrations for pastors, and I was flipping through that, and and one of them, you know, tried to explain it, but, you know, his story, he compared it between man and dog, which was a little bit awkward, but, you know, dog being man's best friend, what if all the dogs were in some kind of dilemma, and the only way for you to save them was to become a dog? And, uh, you know, would you give up your home? your spouse and your kids and your family to become a dog and, and serve amongst them. Adds a little bit better, but not by much. But see, we, we, we don't have a framework to understand what it means to be God. And even at a lesser level, we don't, we, we don't understand what heaven is like. See, Jesus just didn't switch roles. He switched kingdoms. And not only did he switch kingdoms, but he switched his his role in each of those kingdoms. So we, we really kind of have this, this upper kingdom, this heavenly kingdom. And then we have this, this lower earthly kingdom. And so not only did Jesus switch kingdoms, but he was the extreme version in each kingdom. In the heavenlies, he was king. He was supreme. He, he, he was above all. And then he switched kingdoms and he became the lowest in the earthly kingdom, in the lesser kingdom. And and he becomes this homeless man who died a despised criminal. 
the, the notion that Jesus walked away from all of that is, is just one that's hard to understand. Philippians 2 is a somewhat well-known passage. It, it talks about the, the Christmas story in kind of a, a cryptic way. And, and, but I never realized the, the, the poetry in it and the progression in it. Uh, in Philippians 2, um, Paul, it, 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 you know, it's a, it's a bigger topic of humbling yourself, but he, he really describes how Jesus goes from the highest of highs down to the lowest of ho- lows and then is elevated back up. But, but in that first part, he writes this, starting in verse 5. Have this mind amongst yourselves, uh, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was, who, who thought he was in the form of God, oh, oh, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I never noticed it before, but there's this, there's this poetic progression that, that Paul works us through. First, we see Jesus as God. And so Paul writes, uh, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. So Paul establishes that that Jesus was God, that Jesus is God. He was not second rate. He was not second in command. He was not lesser. Jesus was God. And, And then he kind of restates it. He says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, Other translations will read, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So Paul is restating that Jesus is equal. He is on par. He is level with God the Father. For Jesus to be called God was was not something he stole. This was not stolen valor. He did not falsify who he was. He was God. And then Paul walks us through the descent. He writes, but emptied himself. So he, he laid aside that, that eternal form, all, you know, all heavenly power, probably a certain amount of knowledge. But it's not just that he emptied himself, but that he lowered himself to be called a servant. So he's no longer the, the one who commands, but he's the one who serves, the one who obeys, the one who is anonymous. And then Paul pushes the envelope even further, even less than a servant, is being born in the likeness of man. Now let's say hypothetically, that you and Jesus were like good buds growing up, did baseball, barbecues, that kind of thing. And Jesus starts to tell you his plans, and he starts to kind of describe how far he's going to take this, and he's describing this to you step by step. At this point, where he talks about lowering himself to servant and become found in the likeness of man, this is the point where you stop. This is the point where you rudely interrupt. And you say, this is a horrible idea. This is the point where, where, you, where you try to pull off an intervention. Where you say, I don't want you to talk about this anymore. This is nonsense. This is not going to happen. We're not going to do this. So just stop it. There's a legend of, of two Moravian missionaries in the 1700s 
And at that time, there was a, a slave trade that was taking slaves to the Caribbean islands of St. Thomas and St. Croix. And these two men, Jonathan Dober and, and David Nitschman, the legend holds is that they were so committed to the task and they were so committed to, to wanting to take the gospel to these slaves that they actually sold themselves into slavery because that was the only way to take the gospel to them. Now, it's, it's a bit of a legend whether or not they, they sold themselves or they tried to sell themselves. We're not sure. It does appear that they eventually made it. yourself to slavery? Would you sell yourself into slavery to save the one you love? Would you sell yourself to slavery to save those you had never met? Would you board a ship never to see your loved ones again? Parents, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, nieces and nephews, the house you grew up in, the community that you were part of, your homeland. At what point did, did, did Johann and David share their ideas with others? And at what point did people interrupt them and try to pull off an intervention and say, this is crazy talk. We're not going to talk about this anymore. This is a horrible idea. This isn't going to happen. Paul doesn't stop there in this description. He doesn't stop with born a man. He, he keeps going. He, he, he says keeps going deeper and lower because God could have come as a as a ruler, as a king, as a prince a person of public profession and emptied himself, he humbled himself and it says that, that he became obedient to the point of death but then Paul adds one more phrase because there's some, there's some quick easy way to die it says it became obedient to the point of death I've been meditating on, on this story and, and on this monologue and, and on this whole concept. Kind of two dominant themes that, that keep coming, keep surfacing. And, and the first, kind of like what we talked about, just the, this amazing sacrifice that Jesus underwent to go from king of heaven to criminal on earth and, and this idea that God came down. But the second thought that, that, that keeps coming to me and resurfacing over and over again is that this was a rescue mission. 
And, and I use the word rescue very intentionally because, see, rescue implies that you are unable to free yourself. You are trapped, you are, you are injured, you, you are strandered. You, you are in some situation that you cannot get out of. If you could, you would. But you can't, and so it requires someone to come to you. And there's this deep sense of, of hopelessness. Not hopelessness, helplessness. Because you are so 100% in the care of someone else. You are so totally and completely dependent upon them and, and their skill and their commitment and their ability to come to you and take you out of this situation for years with trek debrief we would uh we would uh take all the trekkers on a whitewater rafting trip uh it was kind of an afternoon thing there was a, a neat deal um just maybe about an hour or two away kind of up in the mountains uh there in the fraser valley there was a company that would do these these whitewater rafting trips and and uh, I went, you know, once as a participant and then got to go for years uh, as staff for free, which was awesome. And uh, so have all these great whitewater rafting stories. And uh, some good, not, not some weird. Um, including, we had one guy who was just really bad. And every time the boat would get hung up, he'd yell at us, boat sex, boat sex. And we just had this boat of, like, naive Christian virgins. And we're like, I don't know what you want from us right now. And uh, he was bad. But... Um, but the, the first time that I went, and they, they're, they're really great about safety. And uh, as I understand rapids, there, there's, there's five levels. You have one, which is calm, peaceful water. And then you have five, which no one does. That's just ludicrous, and now they eat gelatinous. And so then you have two, three, and four to just pick up all the slack in between. And so they had one route that was level two and three rapids, and they had another route that was level three and four rapids. And they give you a real good scare talk. They're pretty thorough about it. But we, we kind of manned up and, and put on our big boy pants and went after the 3-4 route. And there, and it's cold water, really cold water. This is, this is mountain water. And so they get you all, you know, you bring your own tennis shoes, but then they, you have like these neoprene boots and then kind of like neoprene overalls that you strap on and they're supposed to be tight and they're super unflattering. And, and then you have kind of like a neoprene coat that goes over it. And then you have the, the biggest life jackets in the industry and a blue helmet. And you all, all just kind of walk around like that. And, and, and in the boats, how, how they would have it set up is you'd have six to, to eight-man teams, three or four people on either side. And, uh, and you would sit on the edge or kind of straddle the edge. And then there was a, 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 a loop to put your foot in, you know, to, to give you some balance. And so you, you put your foot in, and then you got a paddle, and you were on the left side. And then the guide was in the back, and the main thing that he did was steer and call out commands as you, as you hit these rapids. And, and these guys were good. I mean, there's a whole art to being able to, to read the water and, and to know what's coming and, and which way to go and what rapids are, are fun and you take and what rapids you, you go around. And so the first time we did this, we're, we're in the boat, or the first time I had done this, and, and, and we're going along, and it's, and it's fantastic. And we hit some wave, and... Uh, sure enough, I go over. I think maybe two of us went over. I'm not even sure. And uh, I, I don't know what happened to the other guy. They, they must have got him back in the boat. But uh, a person in the water goes a lot faster than the boat in the water. And so within a matter of moments, you're way out in front of the boat. And so they had a rescue kayaker 
sometimes two, on every one of these trips. Thank you, Jesus, for us deciding. And in the first little bit, you know, you're going through the waves, and it's just you pop up, you get some air, you look around, and then you're down under again. And then you pop up, and you look around, and you try to get your bearings, and then you're down under again. And, you know, so I went through, I don't even know how many of those. And when you're in the water, you have two options. You can float feet first so that you can hit rocks, which is what I was doing. I remember rocks just kind of kept hitting me on the bum. Or you can turn around and go face first and try to swim towards towards shelter. So I, I go through a couple of these. And then the rescue kayaker comes over and, you know, he kind of talks to you before he lets you grab the boat. And, uh, and so I grab the, the, there's a strap on the back of the boat. And he wants to take me to the left shore. But coming up, the, the river diverges before it reconnects. And on the left is a log jam. And what happens is that trees will fall in the water. And then as other trees and branches float down, they, they get caught in the water. And it basically creates this, this net that is death, just absolute death. The, the water is moving fast, and it's just... If it pins you against a rock or a tree, it's hundreds of pounds of pressure. And so those log jams, you get caught under there, and you're, it's, it's not good for you. And so he takes the, so he, he's paddling, he sees that, and so he, he takes the path to the right, and we kind of go through, and then he eventually gets me to shore, and he's like, stand up and walk. Can you stand up and walk? Bite me hard. But he, I talked to him later words as I was thanking him and, and confessing my undying love for this man that I never met. And, um, you know, he said it was probably five, six hundred yards, you know, from the from the time the boat skipped to over. But I was rescued. I mean, I, I was just, I was totally at this guy's mercy, at his skill, at his ability. I mean, I was pretty buoyant, you know, but not a whole lot I can do. There was another, I don't know if it was that trip or one of the other trips. It was another story that happened. And um, the, the guide... A neat Christian guy, his kind of knew him kind of secondhand. His, his sister-in-laws had done treks, and um, I, I kind of think it was that same trip, actually. I'm not sure. But so there, in his boat, they were going down, and there's a section along the side of the river where there's a couple kind of campers and campground, a couple trailer houses. And sitting in the water, there is a guy in a lawn chair drinking beer. And as the boat approaches prepares to come alongside this guy in the long chair in, in the lawn chair just passes out rolls over falls under the water and is gone getting washed down the river and so this he was he was on top of it but he said he commanded his little team he said we're going after that guy so they took their boat and they chased this guy down the water and then what would happen is as they would paddle he, would, he, he looped his foot somewhere into the boat, and he leaned over at the waist until his entire torso was underwater behind the boat. And then he would stretch out his arms until he found that guy who was underwater. And I don't know if he got smacked in the face with a 122. I'm not sure. I didn't ask for a lot. But he kept doing that until he found this guy, and they dragged him in the boat. And I don't know what they did with him, tossed him up on shore, told him to sober up. I don't I mean, this guy was unconscious, completely unaware, rescued by God's provision, by a, by a skilled guide and a bunch of people that didn't know what they were doing but had paddles. They were rescued. 
2,000 years ago, when Caleb moved the goats, when a, when a nameless man extended the best hospitality he had and put up this young people in his stable, that was Jesus going from king of the heavenlies to servant and man to death on a cross. That was, that was like two Moravian missionaries who were prepared to sell themselves into slavery to bring a message. And when Jesus went from heaven to earth to provide us a way of being reconciled to God, that was God performing a rescue mission. That was him coming to our aid. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father except by me, he's not being arrogant or, or boastful or obnoxious. He's explaining our reality in candid terms. And he's saying, I'm the only one who's coming for you. There is no one else. There is no plan B. There is not a second option. There is one rescue mission. This is it. I am it. Nothing else is available to you. Sometimes it, it irks, and it's probably just a nuance about words, but it kind of irks me at times when people call Christianity a religion. Because as I look at religions around the world, they tend to all say that if you are good, then God will love you. And Christianity really does the opposite because Christianity says because God loves you, you are free to love him, to love others, to obey, to serve, to worship. It is totally, totally different. Religion will always lead you to either pride or despair. Because with religion, you, you try hard to please God, to attain favor, to attain salvation. And if you think you've made it, then you become proud and boastful and not humble like Jesus. Or if you feel that you've not made it, then you feel despair. You're not good enough. Then. You, didn't, you didn't attain it. You, you, weren't, you weren't able to live up to the standard. And so therefore, God doesn't like you or God doesn't love you. And Christianity flips that whole thing on its head. On its head. And it starts with, because God loves you. Because God came back. Because God went on a today's candle is love because God loved us and he loved us first and he loved us when we were unlovable and so he sacrificed his place in heaven for you and so we respond with with gratitude and proclamation I mean when someone does something like that for you, you, you say thanks and you say thanks a lot and you say thanks every day and you say thank you time and time again for the rest of your life you say thank you People who understand this, they're the ones who worship with a broken heart. I think, I think the level of our worship is a direct correlation to the extent that we understand us being rescued, to the extent that we understand God coming back. The deeper our understanding of what we were saved from and what we were saved unto, I believe that's a direct correlation to the extent to which we just worship with abandon. And not just the musical Sunday, but every day of our lives and how we, how we talk about life and God and those around us. How we live our life. And we share the story. We share the story with others. We share our story. 
no one can argue with your story. It's your story. No one can't say, well, actually, no, it's my story. I was there. No one gets to argue with your story. And so we share our story of being rescued. And who knows? Maybe, maybe there's something that they can relate to. Maybe they're wanting to be rescued. Maybe they see a part of their life deepen our understanding of what we were saved from and what we were saved unto. Deepen our understanding of your sacrifice of the God in heaven to being crucified as the criminal on earth. Deepen our understanding of of what it meant for us to be rescued. Of our sense of helplessness until you came to us. And Lord, out of that I pray that we would worship with abandon. And Lord, I pray that we would joyfully and freely Proclaim our story and your story. And just and just share the story of a God who came down and 